Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to the Promised Land, a show all about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined as ever by football journalist and United season ticket holder Rob Blanchett. And that's a nice salute from Rob as well, if you're watching on video. Uh, You can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get them. And now you can watch us twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays as well. So head over to our YouTube channel, hit the like button, subscribe, join the community, leave a comment too. And the link should be in the description of this episode. If you're listening on an audio platform and Rob, uh, the season is over. I'm throwing my hands in the air. It's finally finished. Uh, oh yes! What a what a monumental last couple of days. Indeed, and you know United go out with a whimper at Crystal Palace, as I think we all very much expected. But we're already in the next phase of the transition of power, aren't we, Scott? So you mentioned United timing it perfectly that as your team does its last bit of unraveling under the interim coach, who never really had a chance. That game's gone and hey, look, is the new manager and we're moving forward. So we're going to talk about all of that today. Yes, we will. We'll look a little bit at Palace and uh, some of the performances in that game. Although I, I will just be upfront and, and you know, honest. My stream died at about 55 minutes and I didn't bother putting it back on uh, just because <laughs> I just, I'd had enough of it. Uh, we'll talk about Eric Ten Hag's unveiling, uh, which was done on Monday. He was at Old Trafford to speak to the press. Did an in-house interview with the club as well. His backroom staff have been confirmed too, so we'll talk about that. We'll reflect on Ralph Ranić's spell in charge, which is now over. Uh, it's not gone that well, but we'll see. Maybe, maybe he's uh, done some things necessary for United to flourish in the next couple of years. We'll talk first impressions on Ten Hag and some of his comments on the likes of Ronaldo and Harry Maguire, and we'll also talk some transfer targets too. Uh, you know all who they all are already. Julian Timber, Pau Torres, uh, we'll look at the defence today, but there's a number of other players that United are after as well. My tap-up mission for Frankie de Jong did not go well in Barcelona. Um, by the Failure, way, Scott. Did not, Fail. uh, did not manage to see him. Was too busy uh, doing other things. But, you know, we, we still want him. United still want him. So never know. You never know. We'll see how that goes in the next few weeks. But a reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at PromisedLandMU for the show as well. Uh, Rob, do you want to start with looking back at Sunday? I know you want to talk about Bruno Fernandes, don't you? So uh, whether you want to talk about the actual defeat in itself, which was not a surprise, um, or whether you want to go the Bruno angle. It's difficult because there is nothing really to talk about about the game. Let's be honest. You know, I think it was quite interesting that the guy who puts you away in that match is one of your former players who you never really gave a chance to. Got signed by Sir Alex Ferguson. Fergie's last signing at Man United. Never really given a chance. Maybe not the standard that you wanted, but he's done well at Palace, hasn't he? But yes, I wanted to talk about Bruno because... I think Bruno's become a figure this year that has really divided United fans. 
because I don't think any of us um, kind of doubt that Bruno Fernandes wants to be a success on a football pitch or wants to do well for Man United. But there are fundamental key points of his game that have collapsed. And his pass for the assist, in inverted commas, for Wilfred Zaha for the Palace goal was criminal. And I'm not going to harp on it too long, but I really do think that that moment, for, for me personally, was like a metaphor for this Man United team. A Man United team that just really doesn't have a clue from its arse to its elbow. It really doesn't know it, does it? And I think with Bruno Fernandes is that he always talks a good game, yeah? He talks to the press and he always says, we must do better. I need to look at myself. And I, well, just do it, please. And don't spin round and smash the ball in the air towards Harry Maguire where, when you can't do it. So I don't get any of that. So we, we, I want to touch on those things because I think they're important because this is what Eric Ten Hag will have seen. He'd have watched that and gone, what are you doing? <laughs> and I think that that will be communicated to the player, maybe in his first proper conversation with the Portuguese superstar. Yeah, Bruno Fernandes was obviously not great. He's he's put out, an, not an apology, but more of a... He has to do an Instagram statement, doesn't he? Something along the lines of, we know that we've not hit our targets this season. Mm. Thanks, fans, for reminding me that United are a big club and expects more or something like that. It's like saying, it's like, it's like one of us putting an Instagram post out saying, I know I didn't come into the office today. Uh, what? Just get into the office and or do something, you know, do your work. So I'm disappointed with Bruno Fernandes. Like, I think this is sliding scale, Scott. You know, all, the, all of the squad have failed this year. There's no doubt about it. But I always do look at the senior players much, much more than I do the fringe maybe the younger players, other players that you don't expect to carry the weight of responsibility. You know, Bruno Fernandes is an important player for Man United. That's why he's now on a big contract on what is it, the best part of a quarter million pound a week. So now start earning that. Again, I don't know why United gave him that at the end of a turgid campaign. They could have just banked but he played, him. But he played really well for a year. <laughs> Man United's idea of, uh, of, a, of a structure and a pay structure around success is warped. So, yeah, yeah, he did do well for a year and he does deserve his new deal. (coughs) Excuse me. I'm not saying he doesn't. I'm saying the timing and all of that's completely wrong. It doesn't, what does it say to the player? You know, you're in the worst spell of your career at Man United and have a pay rise. It's stupid. Give him the pay rise in the summer, but maybe let him talk to the manager first. Maybe let him see what Eric Ten Hag's plans are for him. Yeah, uh, so the Palace game was just not great at all. We were not expecting anything different. Uh, I mean, I was going into that game knowing that Palace would probably win it. But on the plus side, United have limped into Europa League, uh, the Europa League places, not the Conference League because West Ham lost at Brighton. Uh, So Brighton gave United an absolute battering a few weeks ago, but they also did them a favour on Sunday uh, and pushed West Ham into the Conference League when it looked for a little while, as though United were going to finish in seventh. So do you think that makes a difference? The fact that United can now get have two paths into the Champions League next season? Yes, it does. But I also think that it's taking away the embarrassment factor because, Scott, mm. next year, every podcast we do would have been, well, it's Europa League, a Europa Conference League week, and we're off to Luxembourg. Ah, we haven't even mentioned that on the show. <laughs> this is the thing, though. Like, yeah, and th- There's an embarrassment factor st- stuck to that. So I think we both said as well, didn't we, that the Conference League has actually probably been a high standard than the Europa League. 
Like Europa League had Rangers get to the final. Rangers are not a great football team. So I think when you look at that, I said this didn't I as well, that I think the Europa League is kind of like for the, the misfits of Europe, the big clubs that, that are still not doing very well and still get a chance to do something in Europe. But I'm glad we're not in it. I'm, I'm not that hot on the Europa League itself, but at least it is a backdoor route into the Champions League. And we have exploited that in the past. It's a trophy that's been kind to us. We've been to a final. We have won it under Jose Mourinho. So there are good things attached to it. And I do think that Ten Hag will be able to use that competition and help him balance his squad out by giving games to other players. Yeah. Uh, might be Should a... we go in and win it? Should we like, oh, we got to win the Europa League? Mm. I think it's one of those where you kind of play your fringe players for a little while till you get to the quarters and then you see like, when it starts getting serious. I will say I don't look at the Europa League till the semi-finals. You get to the semi-finals, then I suddenly go, "Oh, this might get interesting." But before that, it's a lot of slogging on Thursday nights, generally in bad weather abroad in countries that you probably wouldn't always visit. So it's a tough competition that sticks on an extra what twenty, twenty odd games, depending on, on where you go in the qualifiers. Um, it's tough. It's a tough competition as well. It can really, really hurt your league campaign. So that all needs to be stage managed. But I think, you know, Ten Hag, experienced European coach, I don't think he'll have a problem with that. Uh, Ten Hag, uh, his, the part two of his uh, exclusive interview with the club has just gone live as we record this. So uh, check that out if you haven't seen it already. Uh, we'll have to check that out later on because we can't do it while we're recording here. But Ten Hag has been unveiled on Monday. Uh, obviously done his uh, now part two, two parts of his uh, interview with the club, but he was put in front of the press on Monday. United wanting to sweep uh, last season under the rug a little bit and just look forward straight away, which is a smart strategy because this season has been God awful. It's been the worst I've ever seen United put out, uh, but unveiled backroom staff confirmed Mitchell van der Gaag and uh, Steve McLaren, both coming to the club as his assistants. That was confirmed by the club on Monday morning as well. And what were your impressions of Eric Ten Hag then, Rob? Let's let's talk about things that he said. And we'll talk about Ralph Ranick and some of the players in a little bit. But general aura and how he conducted himself, things he said, what were your impressions? I thought the aura was good. You know, like we all know him as well. Like this is the funny thing. It's the first time to see him at Manchester United in the press room and to kind of talk Manchester United things as the coach. But he does what he does. You know, he's, he's a little bit like Ralph Ranick in that he just does his thing. You know, shoots from the hip, talks quite straight, isn't interested in hyperbole. None of that stuff's not going to kind of elaborate and accentuate stuff. He's talking football. He's a football man. And let's be honest, that's what Manchester United needs. Uh, it's quite interesting that one of the re- repeated um, statements that was kind of asked of him and, and, and spoken about, of course, is about Guardiola and Klopp. So, you know, what was his opinion of those guys and could he beat them essentially? And in a nutshell, he said, yeah, I think that we can take them during their era of success because all eras he of success... He didn't say that actually, though, did well, he? he did, well, no, that, no, that, no, that's I, how he, it's been construed in the press. He, and reported, he, he, directly he said was, eras can come. To, he hinted it. He didn't say it. I don't know. I think it was quite straight. They did say to, they said to him, one of the questions was, do you think that that their eras can come to an end while you're at Manchester United. You know, can, you know, can you compete with these guys? 
and he categorically said, yes, I think we can. And I think that era's come to an end. I think that was, again, he's not saying, yes, I'm going to beat Klopp and Guardiola because that would be stupid. That's how it's been reported in the British press. But I do, I do think, though, that that was definitely his intentions. He was saying that in the sense that, you know, I'm not here to turn up for top four. I'm really glad he didn't talk in those terms. Like, because yeah. all of the previous coaches have all said that. You know, Ole said it. Uh, Jose said it. They all talked about, oh, we've got to get back in the Champions League and made a big point about it. He did say that. He said, obviously, Manchester United need to be perennials back in the Champions League. But he's not come to get Champions League football. He's come to win. He's come to win trophies. And he's made that, I think, quite clear in his opening stanzas about the football club. And that makes me feel good. You know, as a football fan, I look at that and I think, yeah, that's the language I want my manager speaking to our players. You know, he needs to be saying, yeah, top four is the bare minimum. But once you get top four, you're not going to get pats on the backs and bonuses. That's not how it should be. We are here to win the Premier League. It starts and ends with that. And it has to be like that. I think one of the lines that he said was good isn't good enough, which was yeah. which was quite nice. Um, now, it was nice to hear him speak frankly. You kind of understand that he has a respect for the history of the club, but he also said that he knows that this club has a lot of potential that needs to mm-hmm. be gotten out of them. And that's what excites him most. That's what's kind of brought him here in the first place. Obviously, there'll be a lot of turnover in the squad and this kind of thing, but he he really has an idea. And you get, I, I get the feeling from him that he's been given assurances by the club that he'll be able to do it his way because he's speaking with a lot of confidence. And we know that we've seen managers in the past have their legs pulled out from under them and these kind of things, maybe later on. But I want to be opt. I, I'm sick of like I've been six to eight months where I've been United are awful. This is this is awful. I just want to mm. be. I want to turn the page and I want to start to be optimistic a little bit. And I think he did enough for me in that press conference yesterday to really give me enough confidence that we they're going to start turning in the right direction again. Because I don't think this season coming can be any worse than that one. That oh, look, for, for me, uh, page is turned on to yeah. the next chapter. Like, really, I, I've kind of like jumped 10 steps because I think you've just got to now let him get on with the job. You know, as football fans, we always worry about so many things around our football clubs, don't we? And we kind of look at wages and structure and results. And look, we have to calm that down a little bit. Let this man go and do his job. I do think that his comments about Ralph Ranjit, when he was asked about that yesterday, about him working with Ralph, and, and it was put to him specifically about Ralph being a consultant for Manchester United, he kind of said, nothing to do with me, that's on the club. And that was really, really telling because I think that's the feedback we've been getting from his camp for a while is that he wants to do things a certain way. He doesn't want yes men around him from Manchester United on the, on the upper structure. He will work directly with Murto. He will have his assistants. He'll have his coaching staff. He is here to coach a football team to win. Scott, that's music to my ears. That's what I want. I don't want Manchester United to be this overt political entity that the coach has to come in and do that all the time. And I think you saw in the press yesterday, I don't think he's going to do that. He's not going to have to do what previous United bosses did, which is pay a lot of lip service to the football club. Uh, He he talked about history, but then he was like, I'm not really interested in the history. I'm interested in the potential. You know, he said like Manchester United have got a big opportunity to win. I see that. I want to be part of that. I want to be the guy that triggers it. All of that stuff is positive, Scott, and you've got to go with it. You know, this is a he's not coming here just to kind of smile and say, Oh, well, I got a chance to manage at Man United. 
He wants to be the guy that changes it. He believes he can take on Klopp and Guardiola and all power to him. I think he's going to build a really good squad and let's just hope the football meets the expectation. Yeah, we'll talk about Ralph in a little bit as well, but Eric Ten Hag was not the only Manchester United representative to talk to the press yesterday. Did you see Abraham Glazer? Uh, I did. Yes, uh, he... He didn't lie. He said, yes, we have, we've put enough money up or we've put money up uh, to support managers in the past. You don't really get a nice vibe from them, do you, to be honest? But um, especially Abraham. Yes, especially (laughs) him. And well, it was just a surprise to me to actually hear from them. Yeah, Avram's a bit of a Florida playboy out of the whole family. You know, he's the guy that, you know, swans around in his Ferraris and, you know, goes out and does his thing and he's a multi-billionaire or whatnot. Um, and, and he's probably the one who's, even though he's on the board at Manchester United, he's the most disconnected, I think, out of uh, out of many of them. So he talks, but he doesn't really talk of any authority. He's not his brother. Joel is the one, obviously, who makes a lot of the key calls. But it was interesting to hear what he said in the sense that the Glazers do 100%, 100% believe that they've done nothing wrong at Man United. They, they just don't. To them, it is a, is a business. And they've taken a lot of money out of that business over many years. But it is also true that Man United spent plenty on players, 1.25 billion, and going that way now, isn't it, in the next few weeks? So you've made the, the investment in terms of capital. Make sure you buy the right players. And maybe, just maybe, Avram, you don't get a say in it and your brother doesn't get a say in it and give it to the football people to actually make those choices. So very interesting that... Obviously, uh, our new manager was there at Sellers Park. And who was he sat next to? The director of football. That's good. I want to see that. That shows there that this is the, that there's a relationship going to be built there. And this is going to be John Murto's project with a new coach. John Murto was there. I think I also saw Richard Arnold in some sunglasses. I don't think I've ever seen Richard Arnold without sunglasses on. But that's what I thought was interesting, <laughs> this, because he was there, Richard Arnold, but he was not with the management team. Yeah. He was not with the football. So obviously the assistants were there um, and the, the director of football obviously sat there with the new coach. It would have been very easy. And I'm telling you this now, if Ed Woodward was in charge, it would have been that. Ed would have been there, hand round his new manager, going, look who I've got. And that would have been the press shot, wouldn't it? But it wasn't. Manchester United chose to do it a different way, <coughs> excuse me, to show the new coach with the director of football. And they even walked to the car park together. It was all, all of it was kind of stage managed beautifully because they wanted those shots of those two guys together. Yeah. Uh, Ten Hag is also going back to the Glazer family, has also said uh, that, well, he was asked about Louis van Gaal's previous comments. Jose Mourinho has spoken about yeah. commercial activity commercial and that kind of club, stuff. Yeah. And, uh, Ten Hag said, yeah, I've spoken to Van Gaal. Uh, I went to an event of his or something like Mm -hmm. that. And he said something along the lines of, I'm aware of what's been said, but I make my own mind up. And this club is one football, two football, three football, as far as I'm concerned, which is, well, I'll believe it when I see it. But it's nice that he's at least got that message. I I think that's it. And and this is the whole thing is that he doesn't have to work with the board on a daily basis. He doesn't. It shouldn't be his job. His job is to direct the football project with the director of football. So that is, that's a, that's it. Key. That's no, that's it. Don't talk about sponsors. Like he said as well in his presser, every football club is a commercial football club. And, and I, I do agree with that. You know, look at Ajax and the content that they pump out through their socials and how they do it and how they promote their football club as being this kind of greener than green football project. You know, it's not really the truth, is it? So it, every football club was going to have a PR angle and a commercial angle. 
And he does not need to be the guy selling the shirts. He needs to be the guy at Carrington, really, really smashing it home to the players that if you fail, there is accountability now at this football club. It comes from me. And I think that's what we've missed. You know, the accountability structure at Manchester United have been skewed for so long, going all the way back to Jose, even back to Louis van Gaal. Louis van Gaal did an all right job. He definitely restructured lots of things in a football sense, but the football was awful. So you've got to get those two things right. And I think that was the other thing that Ten Hag said, was that he wants to play attractive football. So all of those things, I think, are are all the, the first stuff that comes out of his mouth. That's what we want to hear. He's ticking all those boxes. Uh, let's talk. There's some similarities there, Rob, between what you said about Louis van Gaal and what you said about or what we're probably going to say about Ralph Ranick now, mm. because uh, obviously we we know that Ten Hag has he hasn't distanced himself so much, but he, he said it's like the the consultancy role with Ranick is pretty much on the club. I'll speak mm. to Ranick, but I'll make my own mind up. Yeah, it's essentially is he, that he really he downplayed said. it, didn't he? He was like, yeah, not interested. Kind of, it's me. Yeah, and I kind of like that in a sense, but. Mm. Ranić's spell, I think he has one of the worst win ratios of a United manager ever. I'm not sure how far down the list that is, but, you know, it's not gone well on the pitch. He's not been able to no. bring the players around, not been able to imprint his tactical style at all. Do you think there are any upsides because Ranić has come in and it's been, he's been largely criticised? The results have been absolutely awful. But you spoke about Louis van Gaal changing the structure above. Do you feel like if Ranić wasn't brought in, let's let's say United brought Conte in and got top four. Mm. Do you think that they could have just masked over the problems that have been there kind of hounding them for years? Or do you feel like Ranić coming in and being so public and having a look behind the scenes at the club and pointing out what was wrong will make a difference and a benefit for United in the long run? I, look, I think if Man United had actually gone and got Conte, they'd have got top four out of breeze because the talent is there. So when you look at the the failure of Ralph Ranić's team, something has fundamentally collapsed. And we have heard a lot about it now in the last few days because there's been lots of reports around the training ground and stuff that's been coming out about the disconnect between the manager and the players. But Scott, we've heard all this about these players before. They've done it before. They keep doing it. <clears throat> that's why I wanted to talk about Bruno at the top of the show because your leaders have to be the one that helped the manager the most. And I think the leaders are the ones that have hindered that. So the, it's now been widely reported that it was a kind of summit meeting between the players and Ralph. And the players, the senior players, said to Ralph, we don't want to play this football anymore. We don't want to play this style of football. So that's why we've seen the Gagan press kind of taken out of Man United and chucked in the bin because the players have said, we don't want to do it. Now, should we be in that scenario, Scott? Do you think these players are going to go to Ten Hag and say, we'll tell you how to play? No, the manager will make those decisions. So I think for Ralph Rannick, he never really had a chance. You know, I still think that he was the right guy, but only if Man United had given him the power to make decisions. And, you know, it's come out now that he didn't get the coaching staff he wanted. He went to Man United, said, I want coaching staff. He wanted meetings with Richard Arnold and Ed Woodward. They refused those meetings. All of that stinks. Do you know what I mean? And here we are talking about losing to Crystal Palace. So... It's the structure of Manchester United, isn't it, that's the issue and has been the issue for a long time. Ralph leaves. Goodbye, Ralph. I think he'll be on a conference call once a month from Tokyo or wherever he'll be living in the future. And he won't really have a lot to do with Manchester United's project. And I think his name will slowly but surely be erased from Manchester United. How do you reflect on it as a whole, his spell? Uh, do you well, feel like anything has gone right? 
not good at all. Not good. Like the the results have been poor. You know, I I'm not so one way. Like Paul Scholes said a few weeks ago that this guy can't coach. Um, can he not? Go and look at his coaching record. Go and talk to people that have worked with him and people around. You can the only game. coach players that want to be coached. You know? You've only got to play players that are not on holiday, Scott. This lot have been on holiday for six months. And they knew it. When Ole left the football club, they all went down in tools. And we've seen it. So we're not idiots as football fans or as football journalists. We see it every week. And there's been so many things, I think, around the vortex of the senior players that you can only get to here. Wasn't it interesting that David De Gea's comments married up with, with Juan Mata's comments from two days before. Those two guys are best friends, obviously Spanish teammates, have been mates for a long time. Both said the same thing. The players that don't want to be here should go. That's the vibe. Yeah, we don't need to hear too much more than that. Both of them said the same thing. David De Gea would say it straight after a game, we've lost again. And he's got a lot of criticism from United fans saying, oh, well, you've conceded the most amount of goals in a Premier League season, et cetera, et cetera. How do you think De Gea's been all right this year? I think he's done his job. He's saved United so many times. No, he hasn't got a good pair of feet. That's not his problem. He needs to work on that. So I, I look at those things and there are there are entities at Manchester United that might even take 12 months, Scott, to get rid of a few of them. But you start today, you get rid of a few as quick as you can. Yeah, indeed. Uh, well, we'll move on from the Ralph era. I'm sure his name will crop up here and there in future episodes, but... He'll be a yeah. pub qu- question in he years might, time. He might well 20 be. years time. Yeah. Who was Manchester United's interim manager who has the worst record uh, over a six-month period? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Maybe he'll turn Austria into winners of the next Euros or something. We'll see because he's uh, he's in that job now. He'll move. He's got an, an international camp to go straight to. Uh, so maybe he won't be living in Tokyo. Maybe in Austria. He could live in Tokyo and do the job in Austria. Maybe, no maybe problem. But yeah. but like it, it, I do think that that's a job that suits him. You know, the average players that he can work on on a system and improve them. And there was a lot of talk before he came to Man United that the German Federation were talking to him. There was talk about him possibly becoming Germany's manager. So the international stage, I think, fits him. Yes, indeed. The international stage also fits Cristiano Ronaldo. And that's a lovely little tie in there because he's the all-time international record goal scorer for men's football. And he has also scored a lot of goals for United this season. And coincidentally, uh, Eric Ten Hag was also asked about what Ronaldo can bring mm-hmm. to his team. He's he basically said goals. And that was it, uh, which... Ronaldo has done. He has a track record of scoring loads of goals across the course of his career. Hmm. All he did last season as well was score goals, some would argue. But, you know, he's not had a conversation with Ronaldo yet by the seams of it, but he did intimate to the press yesterday that he will speak to Ronaldo first to see what happens before telling everyone else what the plans are. But it does seem that Ten Hag would like to use Ronaldo. He said it in his exit interview with Ajax as well, that he was excited to work with Ronaldo. So how can you see him being utilised next season? Ronaldo does score goals. Like Again, we've said Man United could be awful and come 5th, 6th, 7th or 8th and Cristiano will get his goals. He will, there's no doubt about it because he's going to get enough chances to put the ball in the net. But I think that, I think that Eric Ten Hag is just playing it the correct way. And that is that he will deal directly with the player. And I think we'll see next year that in this final year at Man United as a player, I'm sure it will be his last year, that he will be used less. There'll be less 
maybe wait on him to carry the team. This year, it's always been about can Ronaldo score and save you? Um, and there'll be more of a system around Ronaldo. Does it mean that Ronaldo will do pressing and running more? No, I don't think so. But I also think Tenog did say a very interesting thing in both of his interviews. And he said that he likes to adapt things to his players. So it's not going to be a bit like Ralph, where I think Ralph playing a Gagan press is a very distinct style. And if you don't do it, you kind of lose, don't you? It doesn't, if it doesn't work, you lose that game. It's a gamble. A bit like Klopp. Klopp's like that. He said it before, you know, unless you get it right, Liverpool lose the game. But Liverpool do it so well. I think when you look at Ten Hag, and again, when we did fit profiles on Ten Hag six months ago, this was all very evident. With Ajax, they will press, they will do ball retention, but it will be more, more like Manchester City style. So they will look to hold, they will look to control games through that. Now, I think that helps Cristiano, because I think if you're controlling the midfield, your defence is set, and you're passing the ball out effectively, Ronaldo will be better. Yeah. Just kind of how it is. So, you know, we talked again about Bruno. Don't want to go on about him too much. One of the big failures is Bruno Fernandes' ability to feed the strikers. He's got all these great metrics about assists and XGs and AGs and all of these things that go along with it. But he's not helped the strikers this year with quality. So that has to be something that is worked on, is that Bruno, if he's the number 10 and, and Ronaldo's the 9, that he has to help Ronaldo score goals. So all of that is to wait and see, Scott. You know, and, and there's no way that any manager is going to say, oh, no, I'm not picking Ronaldo to a presser. You know, he, he didn't even hint that, did he? He was just very respectful. And I think that's good. He's a professional. Come in, talk to the players directly. It was reported that he's spoken to Ronaldo. That's not what he said. As you just said there, you're correct. He did say, I'm not going to tell any of you what I think until I spoke to the player. That's exactly how it should be. Let's, uh, let's talk about Harry Maguire as well, because Ten Hag was asked about Maguire's future as club captain. He was, yes. Uh, and his position in the team, really, because Maguire has, you know, you, everyone's seen the reports of the dysfunction within the camp and the split between the mm-hmm. English group and the foreign group, I think was the, that was some, a report that I read this morning. But that's been, that's been around for a while. I think Marcus Rashford has publicly batted that away on Twitter a few months ago as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, obviously, Harry Maguire's not been playing well. He's got a lot of criticism. Uh, his place in the team has been in jeopardy for a while. He's not played every game, but he remains club captain. And Ten Hag was asked about his future and whether he continue as captain. And I'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But he seemed to be quite supportive of Maguire, didn't he? He didn't... Mm. I, I can't remember exactly what he said now, but, you know, it wasn't... It, it seemed like he... It, if fans think Harry Maguire's getting sold this summer, I don't think that's going to happen based on what he said. Absolutely not. Um, what he said was they thought Harry Maguire's a really good player. That in the past, he talked a little bit about England. Obviously, he's been watching international level. And all of these things are factual. So 12 months ago, as I've said, Man United were second in the league, which again was highlighted by Ten Hag, and getting to European final. Harry Maguire was a huge part of that. Harry Maguire's form was really strong. He helped England get to the final of the Euros. Harry Maguire's not the worst player in the world and probably not your biggest issue. But centre-back as a whole, and this is the thing about positions and football, remains a problem for Man United because I think it's more about the diversity and the chemistry with the players in there. And I still think, Scott, you know, centre-backs, you've got to be able to run. You've got to have pace. So it doesn't mean that Harry Maguire hasn't got a future at Man United. It means that Harry Maguire's going to have to do different things. 
and help himself a little bit more because he didn't help himself under Oligan and Solskjaer. He certainly didn't help himself under Ralph Ranić. I do think that there is maybe some stylistic connection between, say, Delit and Maguire. Is that mm-hmm. neither are particularly fast. They're more about reading the game and more about ball playing and controlling that fulcrum in that position. I think Maguire could do that for this new manager in a set system. But whether it works or not, I'm not sure. You know, we, it's kind of, we've got to see it in real time, haven't we? So, no, he was, he was very complimentary to him. The whole club captaincy thing is a, something that I think football fans get obsessed with, especially in England, in the sense that abroad, the club captain is generally just the most senior player. It's not a big thing in the dressing room that who is your Roy Keane? Who's your Brian Robson? You know, it, it, it just is not important when you cross the channel at 26 miles into France from England. It just becomes something that's much less. So I don't think that he's going to change the captaincy unless he really feels as someone who can take that role on and help the football team win more football matches. Yeah, there's been suggestions as well that Ten Hag would look to have a mini team where he can trust those players to, you know, help him implement the style on the team as well. Any, uh, any further comments you want to make Rob, before we move on to the, the transfer section, since we're getting into the transfer window pretty soon, any further comments on what you found out yesterday from Ten Hag um, and how you're feeling about his appointment? Because he's, he's hard at work from now, isn't he? In the, feel, in the same suit that he's been wearing for three days, by the way. <laughs> I feel really good about it. And and I think the sense that he he won the title at Ajax and literally with the trophy in his hand said, I'm going to work at Manchester tomorrow. Bye. I like that. I like that because it shows where his mind is. He's not saying... Like, he did actually say time for some a break and all of this. He did allude to those things. But he was saying, I'm doing the job and I'm doing it now. That's not what's been the case for Manchester United manager, Scott. Don't you remember? There's been times when there's been an appointment and it's like, yeah, the manager's now going on holiday. He's having a break. It's like, okay, but I don't really want to know that. I just want to know things are happening at my football club. So he's come, he's done these pressers. It was obviously always going to be like this again about he couldn't really be officially Manchester United's manager while he was at Ajax. He had a job to do there. But he's doing it the right way. And I like his style already. You know, I like the way that he's just being straight and frank. And I think we'll hear more in the weeks ahead now. And he said he's not going to have any contact with the players directly and that he wants to... That's the right thing to do for me. That's the right thing to do. But what we do definitely know is that he has had some contact with the players. We do know that as well, that WhatsApp messages and all have been flying around and introductions have been made. But he's not explaining a plan to anyone. He's saying to the players... Bad season, go away and think about it. And first day of preseason, we saw it out. That's how it has to be. And that's great. I want to have a manager that does that. And I think that he's he's levels ahead tactically of all of the coaches that we've had in recent years. Like, no offense to Ralph, but we can move into one side. But I think he's better than Ole. I think he's better than Jose for modern football. And I think he's actually better than than Lou Van Gaal, even though he was a tactical genius. I think he was on the slide when he came to Manchester United. So this is a big opportunity for Man United to get modern and to be successful again. Yeah, of course, Ten Hag has also mentioned that he would like to see the players who are not on international duty return on, I think, June 27th. Love it. Uh, so it's just over Get them in. Get them in. Uh, you know, you said earlier, Rob, about the players, senior players who went into Ralph's office and, mm. you know, told him we don't want to play this way. Get rid of that. I've had enough of that. And keeping that distance, Ten Hag keeping that distance from them and then going back in with, this is how we're going to do it. And if you don't like it, but, you know, leave. That's that's the way to go. 
I feel I feel sorry for Ralph. This is why I have sympathy for him, even though the results have been catastrophic. What can you do when the players come in and the players say, we're going to be here longer than you, mate. You're a consultant, but you pick the team. But we're the ones who have to do it on the pitch. So we do not want to play any counter-pressing style. What? You know, it cannot happen like that. Do you think anyone at Tottenham went to Conte and went three, four, three, mate. No, we don't do, we don't do that here. We're not playing that system. No players have to do as they're told. They have to help and they have to be able to have input and they obviously need to be honest with the manager, but the sense that, you know, and we'll name them Cristiano and Bruno and some of the guys went in and spoke to the manager on tactics I, that, that stinks to me. I don't yeah. want to know that. I want these players to do their jobs. I don't care how much money you earn. Don't care if you're an icon. Don't care if you've got new contracts, old contracts, what not. Do as you're told. Turn up for training, do the work, and try and win football matches. It's been crystal clear, isn't it? Six away defeats Scott in a row for a team that was unbeaten for a year on the road under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Now, just let that sink in. Now, so is that the manager's fault or is that the player's? I put that on the players. Yeah, I think most people do. I definitely do. It would be nice to see. I think a lot of fans of don't, Scott. A lot of fans are very much like, I still love those players. They're the ones I've got on my shirt. Ralph Ranyett, get on my football club. I've seen him slated and destroyed by United fans. It's, again, another excuse. So I'm not interested in excuses anymore. Let's empower one guy to run it from the top. And at least you've got a winner, isn't it? He comes to the football club as a league champion, you know, the Eredivisie, not the greatest league in the world. I think it helps that your last experience was winning a title. Before we get into the last section, Rob, I had a, I just had a, a thought. Uh, let's say in three years time, Eric Ten Hag is successful, might win the league. Maybe they'll get close, but you know, they're going to kick on at the end of his three-year contract. How many of these players now are still there? I'm counting them in my head. Ooh. You can name some if you want. Two. Oh. Jaden Sancho, potentially. Yeah. That's about it, actually. The rest can go. <laughs> it's crazy. That's yeah. that's Bruno Fernandes, probably. You know, like, again, if Bruno's form gets back to what it needs to be. I think Bruno next year is going to have a little bit of a fight with Donny van der Beek for position. So that will yeah. be very interesting. Um, but this is why we need to turn the page, isn't it? Like you just talked there about turn the page and being more positive. The positive thing about all of this in terms of spin is you can get rid of this lot, get rid of all of them if you have to. And I, and again, I don't care who's the shirt sellers and who's the icons and all that. You can't run a football team like that, Scott. So as you said, Dave, Man United are successful in three years time. I think, it's going to be through new talent and new blood. You know, we're going to see a lot of it this summer and we're going to see it in the, in the potential transfer windows ahead that you're going to get new heroes and they might come from corners of the earth that you don't expect, you know. So, and I think that's how Liverpool did it. I think Manchester City, even to an extent, did that. They went wide and they bought players from different territories and markets and maybe from smaller clubs. You know, look at someone like Ruben Diaz going to that football club. You know, again, a, a centre-back that most United fans were like, who? We wouldn't want him. Go and find the players that help you win football matches. And I think Ten Hag's got a really good handle on that. He doesn't need Ralph Ranick to hold his hand to find the players he wants for his football team. Yeah, thinking back there and talking about all these players who are shirt sellers, I remember when... How, how have we got to this position where... I, I remember when I was a kid and David Beckham was my favourite player growing up. And mm. when they sold him in 2003, 
there's no bit there's no bigger player in the world at the time there was no bigger player in the world at the time sir alex ferguson right. made that decision that it was the right time for david beckham to go and he was kicked out yep <laughs> Didn't want and to it go. was a football decision. It, it was, was a football, football decision. It was a football decision because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had carved out a role for himself on the right side of Man United's attack. Yeah, so he kind of was doing the job that Bex wasn't. So Bex kind of fell away and Fergie looked at it in football terms and went, time to cash in. This is it. We can move him on now. We don't need him because I've got Ole. Now, Ole obviously had injuries and stuff after that and that was a problem. But that was the real reason why he was allowed to leave the football club. You've always got to make these things about football, Scott. Man United are a commercial business and have been run by people who know nothing about football. So that is a problem. So you need to employ people at least who know what they're talking about. Quite an interesting one since I mentioned David Beckham there. Do you know where David Beckham ranks in the highest sales that Man United have ever made? I'm trying to think about the deal overall. He's got to be, he's actually relatively high. It's like fourth. Was it twenty five million? Twenty five million. I'm, I'm just I'm just looking at this now as we as we go through fourth. That was in two thousand three. Yeah, Man United generally sell low because yeah. they're either getting rid of someone, or like like you know the whole myth about oh let's buy to sell. Like you know this is the whole thing. Man United have never really done that very well at all. It's it. I think again it's just a philosophy you can put on the table and say, this is what we want to do, you know, yeah. buy young players and sell them on. So what, I guess Ronaldo was, is one. Ronaldo's one. Lukaku. I think you've got Angle, uh, Lukaku and Angle Di Maria. And then Daniel James is around the same price as David Beckham was. <laughs> Daniel James is just like, yeah, so Man United are not particularly a good selling club. And I don't think they're going to become a selling club now. I don't think you're going to bring players in to sell. I think you're going to have to buy players that help you start winning again and maybe reset your culture. Yeah, Henrik Mkhitaryan in there as well. Yapstam underneath that. But yeah, all players yeah. that were going. I mean, like, you know, I remember when Ruud van Nistelrooy was sold. And I remember the day he was sold to Real Madrid. And we looked at the deal and it was like, is that it? Is that yeah. all you're getting for Ruud van Nistelrooy? You're, you know, one of your best strikers of all time. So Man United have never been good at that. And it's it's not been good over the whole Glazer period. You know, yeah. from day one, they've never really been good at selling or doing those negotiations. Sorry, Rob, I've taken us off on tangents That's there. Fine. Uh, it's but fine. It's, it's, take, it's taken us back to United have never really been that good at transfers either because they haven't sold many players who, they haven't bought many players who've lived up to their, uh, their value that they bought them for. Uh, yeah. let's, let's look ahead to who could arrive in the summer. We've talked Darwin Nunes, Frankie de Jong, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera, in the last few weeks. But let's, let's look at the defence today. Yeah. Uh, Jurian Timber is a right-back, centre-back who, you know, not the tallest, but he plays... Uh, I think Ten Hag spoke glowingly about him on his way out and the Ajax mm. journalist who did the interview with him said, please don't take him from us. And he just smirked. <laughs> uh, so... There's been suggestions floating around for a few weeks now that Timber could be one of the players to arrive at United. Mm -hmm. uh, Ten Hag's previously called him captaincy material as well, even though he's mm -hmm. like 20, 21, quite young. And Pau Torres is also on the list as well. We spoke about him in the last few weeks, and I think you might see those kind of links crop up a lot more over the next uh, next week or so as well. United uh, know about him from Villarreal, obviously. Eric Bailly was, sent, was signed from Villarreal. Is there a way to kind of Part exchange that, maybe we'll see. Uh, but uh, those kind of players, Rob, do you think they're the right profiles to be looking at? Hundred percent, absolutely. You know whether the new manager here was ill here or not. If we were all doing our own fantasy rebuild, I think those are the type of players that you need to be looking at. 
not players at the very, very top end of the market, but certainly on their way up in terms of their reputation. Yes, they'll cost money. Yes, the wages will be have to be attractive. The package will need to be there. But you're getting players that I think need to make their next step. And I think this is where Ralph Ranick spoke a lot of sense about recruitment, where he said, forget getting players that just love the big wage day at Man United. Forget those players. Go and find players that are coming here motivated to win. And I think really, when you look at United's deficiencies, Torres and Tim would go a really long way to fixing them. A really long way. Again, I think football fans get obsessed with defenders being tough and strong and, you know, being being able to bite the Nemanja Vidic type of, of defender that you need that. But i am always been more in the Rio Ferdinand camp. You need control on the deck. You need to play out from the back and you need to be able to do it effectively. Now, I think that's where kind of Timber and uh, Powell would give you a better balance with Varane and Luke Shaw, you know, just, just to cross as a back four and allow maybe Timber to come inside at times as well. You'll be able to play a back three more confidently. But that will also help Harry Maguire. You know, Harry Maguire will then have better players around him. So when he does start and when you rotate effectively, I think that's really important going forward. You've got good rotations. That Harry Maguire isn't expected to be the guy that runs it all at the back. That you've actually got other senior players and young players that are hungry to do well in the Premier League. So those two are definitely on United's radar. And I think we'll see one or two more Ajax players very much being on Manchester United's radar in the next week or two. I think we're going to see signings really quick, Scott. Like this is not going to be a slow. They burner. have to. They have to. I, I, you know that absolutely they have to. But it would be easy here to say. <laughs> Well, let's the manager work with the players. Let's do some pre-season work. Let's do that. And let's have a look. No, I think we're going to get not an influx, but certainly an injection of one, two, three signings very, very quickly. And players who've got a lot of top end, a high ceiling, that can then come in and work with a brand new coach in a brand new system with brand new expectations. Yeah, of course, um, there should be some outs as well. We all know about the six players who are out of contract in the first mm. team squad. Uh, reports suggesting that Aaron Wan-Bissaka and uh, Brandon Williams have been told that they can leave on permanent deals or I don't know whether they'll get a permanent deal for Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Maybe it'll be a loan back to Crystal Palace or something like that. But Mm. it seems like decisions have been made already. Because the wheels of football never stop moving. Again, when people always say, oh, nothing's happening or, you know, that's not a thing now and they're going to leave it through... It's not true. You know, like when Man United were finding their manager, that whole process went on and on and on and on and on. It, it, it re- repeats itself. And the transfer market is exactly that as well. So I think players that are leaving, so they're out Brandon Williams um, and uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka. I think it's quite clear that Manchester United want to make defensive signings. So you've just got to make room. So I think with Aaron, I, I feel a bit sorry for him in a way, but, his technique and his his kind of his trajectory has stopped. You know, it's kind of hit a big brick wall. So that's not a surprise. But you paid fifty million for him, Scott. How are you going to? What are you going to get back? Twenty tops. But for him, his career, Crystal Palace is probably a better look for him. He'll play more games. It'll be a style he's used to. Um, when you look around the squad, there's so many Wambasakas, isn't there? That's the thing. Yeah. Players who kind of have you met your ceiling? Can you help Man United win a Premier League title? The answer is no. What you do with that player, you move them on. And I think a lot of that will be done maybe even the next kind of two or three weeks. You know, we'll, we'll hear a lot more about outgoings. And obviously, we'll talk about all of them on the show. 
Yeah, just a final thing, Rob. I, I know that obviously Maguire was sold, well, it was bought for eighty million. Aaron mm. Wan-Bissaka for fifty. Do United have to just turn a page and just not look at what they've signed these players for and just get them off the books for whatever the best deal is that they can manage? Yeah, and the good thing is you can just blame Ed Woodward. Yes, <laughs> so, 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 so that, that's what the, that's what exactly what United will do. Yes, exactly what Richard Arnold will do. He won't say it publicly, but that is definitely what's being said behind closed doors. What we're hearing is that Manchester United are really kind of underwhelmed by the last set of management at the top and obviously at the management level. So we're talking there, Ole being one of those people and his team around him, and then Ed Woodward, and they were the guys with the connections that ran the football club. So they've gone now, like literally United got the scouting department, everything's gone, it's all fresh, it's all new, it's all shiny, it excites, and Man United are saying, ah, well, this is a, this is a new era and we want to do it differently. So this is it now, let them get on with it, they've got to be allowed to do that. And I think you'll see that more players will leave, and then the players coming in will be aspirational signings. There'll be people that, that you can say, right, he's not at the top of his game right now, but this manager can take him somewhere really, really important. It'd be great to see players in the United's first team actually improve because I, I can't remember really seeing too many players well, improve. Just be under, able to pass a ball, Scott. Yeah, That's basics, what I want. Really. I want, I want. One step at a time, to, eh? <laughs> put your chin up, the ball at your deck and play it to someone's feet. Like that is the, That's supposed to be the easy part of football. The hard part of football is the abstract tactics where you try and do jobs that, that maybe fans don't always see. You know what I mean? That's where you, you go and work on a training ground. That's what Pep does. That's what Klopp does. You know, you work with the triggers. I want to see a little bit more just normal football. Put it on the deck and keep the ball. And that's why, again, we go back to the Bruno point of smashing the ball over to the defence against Crystal Palace. You should never even think of doing that. You should never even do that playing for your pub team. It's impossible. Get that thought out of your head. So I want to see United players do more basics and just do them well and enjoy the game a little bit more. We would like to enjoy watching Man United as well. We have had a season of really not doing that at all since that 5-0 home game with Liverpool. It was it was bad before then, but I think that was just the nail in the coffin. It, there was never any any way of coming back from that this season. But the, uh, the football club yeah. needs to be less. The football club needs to be less Eastenders, a more kind of Richard Attenborough documentary. You know, this is where we need to be now. We need to move and shift the quality and take the script that is this Manchester United commercial beast, rip it up. Go, we're not doing that anymore. We're going to do it a little bit more succinct, a little bit more simple, and give you kind of more quality in smaller doses and work that step by step by step. Fingers crossed that's what we get. Just a reminder, you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. And now you can watch it twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays as well on YouTube. So head over to the channel, hit the like button, comment, subscribe, and join the community too. The link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on an audio platform as mentioned. And just another reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promise and MU for the show. We'll see you on Friday when hopefully we'll have some news on incomings and outgoings to get you through the summer transfer window. Thanks for listening. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.